0: to the fifth psalm for today, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, this is a very familiar psalm. There are parts of this psalm that we use very frequently, such as the end of this psalm, or that we refer to quite often. This psalm was written by David. It was intended for worship, intended to be sung by the people of God as they gathered together. Now, one of the first thoughts that come to mind when I look at this psalm and understand that it was intended for worship is that many of our worship songs sure are short and simple in light of this psalm that was meant to be sung in worship. It's a long song. But let's look at what David wrote. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue... All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do not I hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts." See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. These are beautiful words, aren't they? I think perhaps we need to find a version of them that is set to music so that we can sing them as part of our worship, as the Holy Spirit intended us to know these words. There is much about this psalm that is deeply meaningful and very applicable to us. I want to share with you just a few thoughts today. God has intended for his glory to be displayed by everything that we see around us. In the first psalm of today, David wrote, The heavens display the glory of God, and night after night, the knowledge that they speak goes forth. Even though no one hears a sound, yet everywhere in the world, people are seeing the glory of God in heaven, in the heavens, and it's being revealed and spoken to them. The sun is a champion, David wrote, going from one end of the heavens to the other, and nothing is excluded from its heat. Everything that God created is intended to reveal who He is. The Apostle Paul, in making his case for the sinfulness of humanity and their desperate need for salvation that can only come through the merit and the work of Jesus Christ, wrote that through God's visible creation, He has made His invisible qualities known. You and I know what God is like because of what we see. We can't see God. We can't quantify His qualities, His nature, but we can see what He has made. And if our hearts are not blinded by pride and human perspective, we can understand and have knowledge of the greatness of God. To the extent that the Holy Spirit also said through the Apostle Paul, no one will be without excuse. The glory of God is fully on display. You and I should take time at night to look up in the heavens and to look for the stars and to marvel at what God has done and praise Him. Whether we are on sea or on land going from here to there, we all use a GPS these days. But if you so wanted... As a mariner or as a soldier using dead reckoning, you could navigate by the stars with the same accuracy that a mariner navigated the seas 5,000 years ago. They have not moved. They are still in place. God is unchangeable. He is above and beyond time and its effect. He is the immutable God. When I go to the Home Depot in White Marsh on Pulaski Highway, almost always I see a man walking on one side or the other of Pulaski Highway. He is obviously homeless. He can't raise from this position. His back is permanently bent and fixed in place. He can never see anything other than the tops of his shoes and the ground under them. I watched him one day, and he came to a bunch of grass that was growing up through the pavement, and I saw him step aside like he was afraid that he would stumble over that grass. That is the only perspective of life that he has. Unfortunately, there are many people who could have a great perspective of life and of God. And yet, they never lift their eyes up to look at God. They never look at their lives in light of God. And as David began to write about God, he wrote about Him in the context of his own life. What did he say? Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a Word is on my tongue. You know it completely, O Lord. Over the next five minutes, your mind will wander. Mine would, too, if you were up here and I was sitting there. It's just the way it is for us, right? We have to keep bringing ourselves back to focus. You and I have no idea what we are going to think five minutes from now, or even 30 seconds from now. But God knows every thought that you and I will ever think to our last breath. He knows it all. We say that God is omniscient, He knows everything. The definition of omniscience is that God knows everything, actual and possible, past, present, and future, in every moment of eternity. In other words, God knows as much right now as He has ever known and ever will know. You and I grow in our understanding and our knowledge. God does not. He already knows it all, actual and possible. He knew just as much a hundred billion years ago as what He knows right now. He knows everything. And David understood that not simply as a theological concept concerning God. He understood that in application to himself. God, you know everything about me. There is not a single detail about my life that is not under your observation. I can keep my thoughts from others. You know my every thought long before I even know it. We see the same omniscience exercised through Jesus as He stood in the crowds and they, He was being judged by the Pharisees because He had said to the crippled man, your sins are forgiven. And in their thoughts they were judging Him and it says Jesus knew their thoughts and He spoke them out. Jesus is God. And God knows everything and He knows everything about you and I. In all of his infinite fullness, in every moment of time. We had this humorous discussion in Sunday school this morning. Is the devil really a serpent? Did he really come as a serpent in the Garden of Eden to test and tempt even then Adam? And so the thought was that the devil just took over the serpent's body because the devil can assume many different forms. He can be an angel of light, and he can make his appearance in many different ways. Poor snake. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. God knows everything. He is in every moment of time. You and I do not arrive at any point where God needs to be informed about the circumstances that you and I are experiencing. Sitting here today, God knew every detail 18 months ago when we met for our last service before being online. God knew everything that would occur during that time. He knows it all and He is already present in that place. When you and I get up in the morning, God is present. When you and I go through our day, God is present. Whether we are aware or preoccupied, God is present. little song that we used to sing in Sunday school. Oh, be careful, little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful, little hands what you do. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful. Little hands what you do. It should be the deepest encouragement to us that God is present in every moment of our lives. When you and I go through the most joyful moments Our Father is delighting in those moments and what He has been able to give to us. And when you and I go through our deepest and most heartbreaking human moments, our Father is still there. He is there in the midst of the brokenness that our sin has caused. And He is there through the work that He has done through Jesus to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us strength, to give us encouragement. God is always present. All of this comes together for David when he writes these words in verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Those are amazing thoughts to me when I read them. My mother had two miscarriages before I was born. She prayed and prayed and prayed for a son. And after I was born, there were two times when I almost died. One time when I drank water that was poisoned because the well had become poisoned by an animal falling into it and dying. Another time when I had pneumonia, my parents had no money to get to the hospital, no money for gas to even get to the hospital, but they knew God, and they prayed, and they sought God. When I had pneumonia, my dad recounted they prayed through the night, that God would undertake. They could hear me wheezing for breath and gasping in my room on the second floor while they were downstairs praying and crying out to God. All night they prayed. Five o'clock in the morning, God undertook. I'm alive today because my God is omnipresent, He is omniscient, and He is all-powerful. And so are you. David wrote, you saw me when I was unformed. This speaks to us of the sanctity of life, doesn't it? Even when I am yet unformed, I am known to God. Life is present. God knows me as A human being, God knows me as one that was created in His image. That's why abortion is so tragic and such a violation of the character and the nature and the heart of God. God gives life. The devil destroys life. David said, you knew me. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows every day of your life He has written everything down two significant thoughts that I find in these verses. Number one, God knit you together. What do you know about knitting? Courtney is a knitter, and she often knits things for us for Christmas presents. And they are so precise and so exact that it looks like it came off of a machine. Now, if I tried to knit something together, it would be unrecognizable, it would be a mass of knots. There would be no symmetry, no evenness to it whatsoever. But she is a master at knitting. God masterfully knit you and I together. And he knows every detail about us. He knows every cell. He knows every neurological impulse. He knows every word David has told us, and he knows every unthought thought. God knows everything about us. So why didn't he do a better job making me? Why did he make me like this? Georgia will often say, when I was conceived, was there a shortage of height that day and God could only give me this much? Couldn't he have just given me two more inches? That's all, God. Was it so hard? Even our weaknesses are part of how God made us. He purposefully integrated those weaknesses into his knitting together of who we are and what we are. God knows your weakness. God knows my weakness. God knows where I am susceptible and vulnerable. God knows where you feel deficient and where you don't have success but always experience failure. In our Wednesday night study, we were looking at the issue of disappointment. And we looked at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I told a story of one of our most significant writers of hymns, William Cowper. William Cowper's father wanted him to be a lawyer. From early age, you're going to be a lawyer. And so he put him through law school as he got older. And when it came time for the bar examination, he was so filled with fear that he had a nervous breakdown he tried to commit suicide. He was committed to an insane asylum for 18 months. There he began reading the Bible. And because of what he read in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, he began to experience the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And yet doubt never left him. There were times when he was so sure that he was not saved and destined for eternal damnation that he could not handle the depression and the despondency. He moved to Oney, England, where the Anglican church was pastored by John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretched slave trader like me. John Newton took William Cowper into his care would spend time with him every day. They would walk together through the village. And then they sat down together and they began to write hymns. The hymnal that was compiled was called the Oni hymnal by the village in which Newton pastored. And more than 60 of the hymns in that hymnal were written by William Cowper. One that is most familiar to you and I is, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Another hymn that you might recognize is this one, God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Oh, to have a closer walk with thee. And yet do you know that William Cowper also tried to commit suicide several more times during his lifetime? Why did God make him like this? Why did God leave this unfixed in his life? Why did God leave him broken and susceptible to depression, to despondency, and to such spiritual despair that he thought that he was condemned and could never be saved? Even after he wrote such a hymn as There is a fountain filled with blood. Why does God leave us broken, Why doesn't God fix everything? Why didn't God do a better job of knitting us together and making us who and everything that we could possibly be? The fact is that God has strategic reasons for doing so. Listen to me, God has strategic reasons for leaving me susceptible to depression and to despondency. God has strategic reasons for leaving you with a weakness that you struggle with throughout your life. Whether it be physical, emotional, or mental, God has strategic reasons. One of those very important reasons is that you and I will depend upon Him. Remember what the writer in Proverbs said after Solomon enclosed. Lemuel wrote, God, don't give me so much that I don't need you anymore. And don't give me so little that I steal. There is a sweet spot that he longed for. God, I don't want to be tempted to do wrong, but God, don't give me so much that my heart becomes independent of you. I have shared with you at numerous other times how my mother would tell during the depression. She lived in Hagerstown, Maryland. Hagerstown at that time was a central railroad yard for the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. One of the largest employers in the town. And when the depression hit And thousands in Hagerstown were out of work. She said the church was full every day of men who were praying and asking God, somehow help me get a job and take care of my family. She said when they got a job, you didn't see them in church anymore. And they didn't need God anymore. There's a second reason why God leaves us broken and incomplete. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning with verse 14, the Apostle Paul wrote, Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Our physical form What you and I look like and what you and I possess, the Apostle Paul wrote, God arranged, he designed our body. Now he goes on to say, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given even greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then he said what he said back in verse 12 and 13. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. Earlier, he had said the body is a unit, even though it's made up of many parts. They form one body, so it is with Christ. We have only been back together two weeks. It is wonderful to be back together, but we're still finding out who's going to be back with us. A lot has changed for many churches and many people during this pandemic. A lot of people changed churches. It was a good opportunity for them to leave one and go to the other and no one would know. I learned of a church this week, a significant church, it's a church whose pastor and wife Georgia and I know well, and the pastor's wife was telling Georgia, we lost all of our millennials during this time. One thing that they said to us, there's not enough people here like us. I thought about that in light of this passage. I need to be somewhere where I am needed, not where there are more people like me. You need to be somewhere where you are needed. You see, God created me to have weaknesses so that I would need you. And God created you to have certain weaknesses so that you would need me. And God has a strategic purpose for creating us the way that we are, with our weaknesses. If we all seek to find people who are like us, who have it together like us, who enjoy all the same things, Jesus is under magnified. The body of Christ is best represented, representative of Jesus, when it is full of people who have differences, who have incompatibilities, who are unlike each other in many ways, so that they need the fruit of the Spirit in order to relate to one another, so that they need to get down on the ground and wash one another's feet, so that they need to spend time building one another up and helping one another through. If all we do is look for people who are like us, and people who share the same values as we do, God will not truly be glorified. You see the passage here. God deliberately made parts of us that are completely unpresentable so that we will take more time and attention and devote them to caring for those parts. Other parts of our body don't need any attention whatsoever. God made it that way. I was born with certain weaknesses so that you through your spiritual gifts and you through the fruit of the Holy Spirit would minister to me. You were made like you are so that others in the body of Christ would either minister to your needs or receive from your sufficiency. If you have no need, then you don't need me. And you don't need Jesus. You and I are in a place of, as a church, relearning who we are, who is still with us, how we will continue to minister to one another and how we will move forward. I believe that one of our prayers need to be, God, send us people who are not like us, and send us people who have needs. And Lord, send people who we need because of who they are and what they are. Then the body of Christ, with all of its weaknesses and all of its sufficiencies, will reveal Him in all of His fullness. This is God's unique way of compensating for the weaknesses that he wove into us when he created us. David ended with this prayer using the words with which he had begun, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Doesn't God already know all of my anxious thoughts? Didn't David just say that you know my thoughts from afar? It's not that God needed the revelation. David needed the revelation. God declared through Jeremiah, no man knows what's in his own heart. No man knows what he is capable of doing. No man knows the sin that lurks within his own soul. Only I know it and David prayed, God, show me. Search my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You and I cannot separate our lives, our lives from the character and the nature of God. God is omniscient, God knows everything. It's not just a wonderful thought that God knows my day as I begin it. It's also a necessary thought, Lord, you know what is inside of me. I need you to reveal it to me so that I will trust you and not live independently of you. Even my weaknesses and my deficits are meant to reveal God's adequacy and his glory. We don't do a very good job of accepting one another's weaknesses. Oh, you should be better than this. You need to do that. Maybe we should just accept one another as God created us and minister to one another so that the Holy Spirit can do His work and make us who He prepared for us to be beforehand. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. David said, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Every one of us is born with, us, with sin in our hearts and as long as we live, we will be prone to sin. Lord, I need your sanctifying work within me. I need you to change me. I need you to make me more like Christ. So search me, O God. Find that which is offensive within me and lead me in the everlasting way, the way of Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life the one whose way pleases the Father, the one whose way reveals the Father. You and I are intimately known by God. We have been purposefully made by Him. Our days have been divinely ordained and written in His book before one of them came to be. Our inadequacies are meant to bring Him glory as we accept one another and minister to one another. We will never be alone, never be abandoned by Him. I will never leave you or forsake you. And you and I will never come to a place where we do not need to say, search me, O God. I need your work of sanctification within me. I need you to make me more like Jesus. May our hearts be encouraged by the word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I want to again thank you this morning that we are all here together. me pause for just a moment. Last evening, as we prayed for one of our missionary couples that we support here at Moravia. We learned that in Mexico, over 300 pastors have died from COVID. That's 300 congregations that have lost their pastors, 300 pastoral families, pastors' wives, pastors' children. And it is nearing 10% of all credentialed Assemblies of God ministers in Mexico who have died from COVID. 10%. And yet Mexico is not unique. There are many other nations that have been severely impacted. Many other churches, many other pastors' families. And if it's that way among pastors, we know that within individual churches, the devastation has been equally great. And yet, you and I can again proclaim that God has been so faithful to us. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. That was his promise to us. And God kept that promise. We are not numbered among the 670,000 Americans who have died from COVID. Father, we thank you that you watched over us and you protected us. You knew what was coming. You knew what we would face. You knew the word that we would need to stand upon. You knew the level of prayer that we would need to engage in on behalf of one another in order to secure the victory and the provision of that promise. Father, we thank you as we are here together this morning for one another, for preserving each other's life, for keeping us. We thank you for the beautiful privilege of seeing one another's face and being together. This beautiful, wonderful family of each other that you've given to us. Thank you for keeping it intact. Father, I pray this morning that each of your people would be encouraged and strengthened in you. And I pray that this psalm would be living water that flows through our being. Would be encouragement that fills our heart. Hope that fills our minds. That our anxious thoughts and our questions and uncertainties will be laid to rest in light of who you are. Father, as we begin to relearn being together, as we begin to find out who we will see each week and how we will move forward together and what you will have us do for you, we pray that You would make us this beautiful picture of people who are so dissimilar, especially as you bring people to us who are unlike us. So dissimilar, and yet the grace of Jesus Christ is so sufficient. And the love of Jesus is so great. And the consideration and the conscientiousness and the care for one another. Father, we pray that you would give us uncomely parts so that we will be put in a position of needing to choose how we will serve those uncomely parts. Father, we pray that you would reveal our needs so that we might pray, Lord, send someone. I need someone like this or that. God, we pray that we would be rich with the fruit of the Holy Spirit so that this world would see Jesus revealed and so profound that they would see us sufficient in a way that could only be accomplished by the supernatural sufficiency of Christ Jesus, our head. So, Lord, we pray blessing over one another. We pray encouragement for one another. We pray hope for one another. God, we pray that you would make us all that you intended for us to be in Christ Jesus. You would renew us in knowledge of the image of our creator. That we would be the display of your workmanship, not something of our own crafting, our own preference, our own doing but your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do those works that will truly glorify you and stand for eternity, which you prepared beforehand, even before the creation of the world when you chose us, that we should do in our lifetime. Do it, O God. We want your hand upon us. We want you to search us. We want you to work in us. We want to be everything that we could possibly be in Jesus Christ for his honor and for his glory.